Jeremiah 21 is where we find ourselves this morning. It seems lately that one of the chief American values that we hold dear is the value of choice. Choice. My wife was telling me that she was over at the new Target and she was, uh, she was surprised. They had three aisles, three aisles for pet food and assorted stuff. Now, I have nothing wrong with pets. You know, pets are fine. But three aisles of dog food and cat food and playthings, it seems like the doggies and kitties, they've got to have choice too. We were, um, years ago, we had some exchange students from um, Yugoslavia. Liliana and Velatka, they both stayed a year uh, with some of the families here at the church. And they, at that time, Yugoslavia was still a communist country. This was many years ago. And they were blown away by our supermarkets. I mean, Liliana, the, the lady who stayed with us, she could not believe the cereal aisle. That much cereal, those different types of cereal, because in America here, choice is everything. you got to have choice. And even in this whole issue of uh, abortion, uh, the pro-aborts were very, very smart. Did you notice how they, they didn't fashion it pro-abortion or anti-abortion. They were pro-choice. And who in America is against choice? Choice seems to be very important. Well, the reason I'm talking this way is because our passage, if you had a chance to read it, involves the people of Jerusalem and they have a choice to make. And what the context is, the city has been surrounded by the Babylonian army that's an intent on destroying the city. And so King Zedekiah sends a couple of emissaries to Jeremiah and says, hey, is there some word from the Lord that maybe he'll help us out? And the Lord comes back and speaks through Jeremiah. He says in verse 8, Behold, I have set before you the way of life and the way of death, and they must choose. Do they choose the way of life? Or do they choose the way of death? I want to look at this choice here that they make because it really has three elements to it. There's three elements to that choice, starting with the very specific and moving towards the very general. And we know in the summer of 586 B.C., Jerusalem and its people and its leaders made the wrong choice. They made the wrong choice. And why I want to look at this, because each one of us, and perhaps even our country, at this critical stage, is uh, given a choice. Which way are we going to go? Are we going to choose the way of life, or are we going to choose the way that eventually leads to death and destruction? And so that's what we're going to look this morning. I think it's kind of providential we get to this place where we're, we're speaking about our country and Memorial Day. And you'll see kind of how this all kind of falls together. Let's take a look at these, this choice 
that each one of us have to make and Jerusalem needed to make, but it has three essential elements to it. Let's read first our passage, verse uh, 1, beginning in chapter 21. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent to him, Pashur, the son of Malchihah, and Zephaniah, the priest, the son of Masariah, saying, Please inquire of the Lord on our behalf. For Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is warring against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful acts, so that the enemy will withdraw from us. Then Jeremiah said, You shall say to Zedekiah as follows, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am about to turn back the weapons of war which are in your hands, with which you are warring against the king of Babylon and the Chaldeans who are besieging you outside the wall, and I will gather them into the center of this city, and I myself will war against you with an outstretched hand, with a mighty arm, even in anger and wrath and great indignation. I will also strike down the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast. They will die of a great pestilence. Then afterwards, declares the Lord, I will give over the king give over Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his servants and, and the peoples, even those who survive in this city, from the pestilence, from the sword, from the famine, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of their foes, and into the hand of those who seek their lives. And he will strike them down with the edge of the sword, and he will not spare them or have pity or compassion. You shall say also to this people, thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. He who dwells in this city will die by the sword and by famine and pestilence. But he who goes out and falls away to the Chaldeans who are besieging you will live, and he will have his own life as booty. For I have set my face against this city for harm, and not for good, declares the Lord. It will be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will burn it with fire. Then say to the household of the king of Judah, Hear the word of the Lord, O house of David, thus says the Lord. Administer justice every morning and deliver the person who has been robbed from the power of his oppressor, that my wrath may not go forth like fire and burn with none to extinguish it because of the evil of their deeds. Behold, I am against you, O valley dweller, O rocky plain, declares the Lord. You men who say, Who will come down against us or who will enter into our habitations? But I will punish you according to the results of your deeds, declares the Lord. And I will kindle a fire in its forest that it may devour all its environs. First element we see in these first 14 verses is they must go out and fall away. Did you notice verse 9? He says, if you'll leave, if you'll leave the city and surrender, what he's saying is surrender to the Babylonian armies. Give up. Surrender to them. And then you will save your life because I am determined to destroy this city and everyone who's in it. And so the way that they could find life was to surrender. That's it. In Jeremiah chapter 27, and as we look at the book of Jeremiah, you'll notice that at this time it's not chronological. So chapter 1 through, he kind of jumps around a little bit. In Jeremiah 27... This is what it says. Jeremiah spoke directly to the king personally. He says, I spoke these words like all these to Zedekiah, king of Judah, saying, 
Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people and live. Why will you die? You and your people by the sword and famine and pestilence as the Lord has not spoken, as the Lord has spoken to this nation which will not serve the king of Babylon. So he's telling them, the way to find life is to surrender to your enemy. How could surrendering to your enemy be the right decision? It was because the Lord was disciplining, disciplining the people of Israel, disciplining the city of Judah for their sin. This was an act of God. He was disciplining them. In Hebrews chapter 12, let me turn there for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 12, which is the classic chapter on the discipline of the Lord, he says this. Hebrews 12, 5. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. For it is discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? What we have here, what's happening in Jeremiah 21 is God has brought the Babylonian army to discipline the people of God because of their sin. Now, look with me in verse 11 of chapter of chapter 12 in Hebrews. It says, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. It wasn't a great day in that day in Jerusalem. It, it was sorrowful. It wasn't joyful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. What we will see is after this event took place and the people were deported to Babylon, when they came back, they never, ever went back to idol worship. That was their problem. From the days that they came out of Egypt, they constantly were struggling, giving themselves over back to the pagan gods of their surrounding neighborhoods. After the Babylonian captivity... After this event had happened, the Jews still had problems. They still struggled. But the issue, the major issue, which was their, which was their stumbling block up to this time, was pagan worship. That was solved. It was taken care of. And the Lord deals with us, doesn't he? And it says in Hebrews chapter 12 that he disciplines us as a parent to a child. Now, when we discipline our parents, like, can I see the hands of those parents who love to discipline their children, spank their kids? Is there anybody here? No, we don't love to do that. (laughs) It breaks your heart when you have to discipline your kids, doesn't it? But why do you do it? You do it because you love your children. You love your children. Well, that's the same attitude that God has when he disciplines his children. So the first thing that we see that brings life, when we choose life, choosing life is to allow the discipline to take place in your life, to allow the Lord to speak to you, to not fight against him when he's disciplining you, to give in and let it happen. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, Neil. What are you talking about? 
How does that work out practically when you say the discipline of the Lord? When the Lord disciplines you, how does that work out? Well, this is a, this, I was thinking, I'll, I'll give some examples. And I thought, wait a minute, Neil. This is, you're going to get yourself in trouble on this one. Because think about Job's friends. Remember, he's, he lost his family, he lost his home, his business, and his health. And he had his three wonderful friends. You know what they did? What was their issue? They said, oh, we know why this is happening to you, because what? Sin in your life. Now, it's really easy to look at, I can look at some of you and say, I know why you're going through troubles. It's sin in your life. <laughs> uh, you want to be careful on that one. You want to be careful. It's not easy to point out the difficulties in a person's life and say, well, the reason you're having those problems is there's sin in your life. But think about Job. Think about the book of Job. At the end, there was something that God was working in his life, wasn't it? He he was a righteous man. He was a good man. But there were still some things that needed to be refined in Job. Isn't that true? So I thought about it. Well... What's some examples from the Bible? Well, how about the Bible? And I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. Think about the Bible. And I thought about a couple. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, do you remember? Do you remember the story? That was the story of David. And after that whole thing with Bathsheba, what happened? Nathan the prophet came to him and said, what? Well, says, um, the child that was conceived by your immoral affair will die. And the sword, remember what he said? The sword will never leave your family. That's the discipline of the Lord. What he did brought that. Problems, interpersonal problems that he had, and the struggles that he had with his son, and the, and the young child died. So oftentimes... Uh, the discipline of the Lord includes those kind of things. Think again also in Second Samuel chapter 24. Do you remember that David, against the advice of a lot of good friends, said, don't take the census, don't do this, <laughs> don't do this, uh, David, don't take the census, which was in a sense trusting in his own strength rather than trusting in the Lord. And what happened? There was a pestilence and a whole bunch of people got killed. And David cried out, Lord, it was I who did it. And yet my friends, my friends are suffering the consequences of my sin. There's two biblical examples. You remember the folks, a couple called Ananias and Sapphira? Uh, They suffered the discipline of the Lord. And what happened to them? Uh, They went home to be with Jesus. (laughs) Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Do you remember what Paul said? Because some people were misusing and misbehaving during worship services, what happened? Some were sick and some even had died. Wow. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It says Paul, he was given what? A thorn in the flesh so that he would not be lifted up in pride because of the revelations that he had gotten. So there are some cases where the Lord has disciplined us. Hopefully none of those in the extreme that I was talking about this morning. 
But you see, the Lord disciplines us. And the way of life, the way of life is yielding to that. Allowing it to take place. Not fighting against the discipline of the Lord. Because the last thing that you would have thought, well, the Babylonians are attacking the city, well, we've got to defend ourselves. The last thing you would have thought is, no, 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 no. The way of life is where? Is found in surrender. Yielding to the discipline of the Lord. Letting it have its work in you so that he might bring life. Let's take a look at the second element as found in the first five verses of chapter 22. Let me read that. Thus says the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah and there speak this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on David's throne, you, your servants, your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness. Deliver the one who has been robbed from the power of his oppressor. Also, do do not mistreat or do violence to the stranger, to the orphan, to the widow. Do not shed innocent blood in this place. For if you men will indeed perform this thing, then kings will enter the gates of this house, sitting in David's place on his throne, riding in chariots and on horses, even the king himself and his servants and his people. But if you will not Obey these words. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house will become a desolation. The second element is they must do justice and righteousness, as it says in verse 3. Now, as I've looked at this context, I say, well, it seems like chapter 22 must have taken place before what we said in chapter 21, because here the Lord seems to have given them an out, some sort of out that they can still maintain their city, that the the, the lineage of David will still sit on the throne. But notice what he tells them to do. He says, they must do justice and righteousness. Verse 3. They must deliver the one who has been robbed from the power of their, their oppressor. They must not mistreat or do violence to the stranger, to the orphan, to the widow, and they must not shed innocent blood. Hmm. Many commentators feel that that phrase, must not shed innocent blood, has directly to do with the sacrifice of their baby children to the pagan gods. This was a common practice in the Canaanite centers. That's what they would do. Many of the children were, um, were made, were conceived in sexual immorality, And then they would take the little babies and offer them up to the pagan gods. The Jews had begun to do exactly what their pagan neighbors had done. And we say, oh, that's terrible. Really? Really? That's terrible? What are we doing here in America? Many of the children that are killed in abortion are a direct result of sexual immorality. So things haven't changed too much, have they? They must do justice and righteousness. Must do justice and righteousness. Now in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment? And he said what? 
Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what chapter, chapter 22, verse 3 is talking about. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Matter of fact, if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments have to do with who? Loving God. And the last six commandments have to do with what? Loving your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, when he gave that commandment, two primary commandments, he said, and this is the whole law and prophets summed up. Now, what had happened here in Jerusalem is, as the people of God had left the worship of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, moved away from the God of the Bible, moved away from the God of their ancestors, and moved towards the pagan gods, many of what they had been doing before, deeds of justice and righteousness, had begun to wane. And instead of doing those things that are listed in chapter 22, verse 3, instead of doing justice, they were doing injustice. Instead of righteousness, they were doing unrighteousness. They were mistreating and doing violence to the stranger, the orphan, the widow, shedding innocent blood, not delivering the one who's been robbed, not protecting the innocent. And they had drifted away and God calls them. He says, you need to return, you need to return to doing justice and righteousness. And if you will, I'll allow this city to continue. Now, in James chapter 2, it says this. What good does it say if a man says... I have faith, I have faith, and I have faith, but has not works. Can that kind of faith save him? And the answer implied by the text is what? No, no. If you see your neighbor is in need and you don't do anything to help them, how can you say, John says, how can you say the love of God exists in you? Now in Galatians chapter 6, it says... If we sow to the flesh, we will what? Reap corruption. Reap corruption. You say, well, what does it mean to sow in the flesh? Well, in chapter 5, let me get to it. Chapter 5, Paul gives us a list of what he was talking about. Chapter 5 of Galatians. Here it is. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Verse 3, chapter 22, Jeremiah. They had departed. Their society was, was falling apart because they were doing injustice and unrighteousness. And if you sow those kind of actions, you will reap corruption. And by doing this, they were choosing the way of death. They were bringing death and loss of everything that was dear to life because of these things that they were doing. Now, when a culture moves away from God, when a when a culture begins to move away from the worship of the true and living God, injustice and unrighteousness begins to reign. And many of the things that are described in verse 3 
begin to take place. The person who's been robbed is not delivered from the power of his oppressor. There's violence to strangers, orphans, widows. Innocent blood is shed. And the culture begins to give up its freedom for security and safety. Did you hear that? In other words, to gain safety from the violence that's, that's going around us, we will willingly give up our freedoms. We willingly give up our freedoms for safety. We'd rather be bundled up and given a whole bunch of laws. At least we'll have our life. That's what begins to happen. We lose the very essence of everything that's the freedom that we love because we've departed from the living God. Now, when I was a young man, I lived in a, in a town called Kearney, New Jersey. And Kearney was just about six miles, six, eight miles from downtown Newark. And in downtown Newark, there was a YMCA. And my mother would let us go to summer day camp every summer. I was seven or eight years old. So I had to travel from Kearney, which was a kind of residential community, to downtown Newark to get on the bus that took us to gay camp. And so when I was seven or eight, my brother and I would get on a bus in Kearney, New Jersey and take the 20-minute ride to downtown Newark. I was seven or eight. Get off the bus and walk the three blocks to the YMCA. Guys, We're living in a different country. Now, my grandchildren, if they go more than three houses from our house, where's where's Joey? Where's Jesse? We are losing our freedom, guys, because we've departed from the living God. We've departed. We're losing the very things that are so precious to us. We have a choice. We choose life, or we can choose death. How sad. So here in the Bible, it says the second element of this choice is to do justice, do righteousness. Third element, verses 6 through 9. For thus says the Lord concerning the house of the king of Judah, you are like Gilead to me, like the son of Lebanon, Yet most assuredly, I will make you like a wilderness, like cities which are not inhabited. For I will set apart destroyers against you, each with his weapons. They will cut down your choicest cedar and throw them in the fire. Many nations will pass by this city and they will say to one another, Why has the Lord done thus to this great city? And they will answer, Because they forsook the covenant of the Lord, their God, and bow down to other gods and serve them. The last element of the choice is they must keep the covenant of the Lord. Now, what we see here, this is the, this one, this last element includes the other two. It kind of sums it up. It all sums it up. People would go by the city and say, Why did God allow this to happen to Jerusalem? Why was his temple burned down? 
And the answer will be because they've turned from the covenant of God. Jesus, as I was saying in Matthew 22, sums it up, doesn't he? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's found life. There's found life. Now, this is not something new, my friends. Going all the way back to Deuteronomy. Let me read Deuteronomy. That's the last book of um, the book of the law. Deuteronomy chapter 30. There it is. Verse 15. This is Moses' last words to the people of Israel before he died. Deuteronomy 30, 15. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, walk his ways, keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, that the Lord your God may bless you in the land which you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter it and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness to you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and a curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. You see, what Jeremiah said, Moses said, hundreds of years before, choose life. Why, oh, why would you choose death, O Israel? Ezekiel cries out, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Jesus says the same thing. What did he say in John 10.10? The thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give life and life more abundantly. And so there was a choice that day. That summer of 586 B.C. They had a choice to make. They could... Allow the discipline of the Lord to take place. Yield to it. They could do justice and righteousness. And they could be part of the covenant of God and remember the covenant that God had called them to serve no other gods but Him and find life. Now, pulling us all together, this weekend we celebrate Memorial Day. And Memorial Day is honoring the folks who have given their lives, given their lives uh, in the service of their country and the armed, armed forces. And rightly, we should do that. Rightly, we should do that. We honor those folks. And especially those families who have, who have suffered loss. But without disparaging the armed services, without disparaging them, it doesn't make any difference how good our army is how good our Navy or our Air Force or Marines are. It makes no difference how good they are. Because if you look at this passage, the enemy was at the gates 
But who was the enemy? Themselves. I have seen the enemy, and the enemy is me. You see, if they would have do the do these things, what would have happened? God would have protected them. Now, the the pagans were at the door, and the answer was not in defeating them, but embracing the covenant of the Lord. And the infidel is at the very door of our country even now. But it's not the radical Islamists that will cause our defeat. It's us. It's us. When we turn from the living God and forget His covenant, we don't yield to His discipline. We don't do justice and righteousness. And we don't embrace the covenant that He so freely offers us in His dear Son, Jesus Christ. Now, the second application is what's true for a country is also true for an individual, isn't it? Isn't it? Now, as, as a pastor here, I've been a pastor here for 24 years now, I've seen people come in into this church and they'll stay here for a couple of weeks and then they say, well, you know, I'm just, I don't know, I'm not into that Jesus stuff, yeah, you know. Or I've got some other things to do. And what they mean is they got a sin that they don't want to give up. <laughs> and uh, they choose not to embrace the covenant that God offers to us in Jesus Christ. They choose not to allow him to work in their lives. They choose not to embrace Christ. And I, I watch them, and then I hear stories later on. And just like it says in the Bible, if you sow to your flesh, you'll reap. And I, I see that in people's lives. And sometimes... I even see death in their lives. But then on the positive side, I see people come in and they embrace Jesus Christ. They love Jesus. They accept Him as their Lord and Savior. They yield to His discipline in their lives. They embrace all that He means and they find life in Him. And I see their life, what? Blossom and grow. And I see wonderful things happening to them as a result of allowing Jesus in their lives. So here's the application. I'm running over. I'm sorry. Well, I can't be that sorry because I'm continuing on. <laughs> Think about what is the choice that's laid before you this morning? Maybe, I don't know where you're at. Maybe there's a choice that you have. Maybe there's some discipline going on in your life. The Lord is disciplining you. Allow it to take place. Embrace it. Let, it. let the Lord have his way in you. It's the way of life. Maybe you're having problems with someone in your life. The Bible says the way of life is to love your neighbor as yourself. Treat him or her as you would want to be treated. That's the way of life. Or maybe you're here and you've never embraced the covenant of the Lord through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you have a choice to make. Now here's, and I'll close with this, here's the lie of the enemy. You know what the lie of the enemy is? You can choose 
the way of death and still have life. Oh, ho, ho. don't you believe that? My friends, that is the biggest lie. If you choose that way to lean on your own understanding, to go the way of the flesh, you will and you will suffer the consequences thereof. There's a way of life and there's a way of death. You choose that way, you will not get life. You will not get life. How do I know? Just go back and ask the people of Jerusalem in 586, the summer of 586. They chose not to choose life. And history will tell you the results thereof. And so what does Jesus have to say to the nation this morning? Choose life. Choose life. What does Jesus have to say to you this morning? Choose life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus says, to bring life and life more abundantly. Let's choose life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words and we ask that you would speak to each one of us as we pray for our country, as we look at where our country's at. We pray for us also, individually, that we might embrace all that you have for us. Yield to you in Jesus' name. Amen.